Tiny Box Academy. Please note, any information given on this podcast is not investment advice. It is for education and entertainment purposes only. So welcome to our Tiny Box Dialogues, our special three-part series on Bitcoin. This is only part one, and it's really about anybody who's thinking about investing in Bitcoin or just curious about cryptocurrencies and why they exist, then you're, you're in the right place. That's what we're going to discuss today. Please feel free to ask questions on the Q&A. I will jump in and ask Tank if they're relevant to what we're discussing, keeping in mind that part two and three will cover different aspects of Bitcoin. So... Today, we're speaking with Tank Hase. He is a software engineer focused on Bitcoin security, privacy, and user experience. Now, Tank is a friend and colleague, so this is going to be a little bit of a casual conversation because he's the person who inspired me to dig deeper into cryptocurrencies. But I'd like him to tell you his story and how he ended up here. So, Tank, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? Sure. Thanks for the introduction. Um, this is going to be fun. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I'm so my background is in uh, software, uh, working as, a, uh, as an engineer for um, ten years, and um, mainly in uh, security, cryptography, um, that kind of stuff. Um, and how I got into Bitcoin was actually for the longest time I did not take it seriously. I thought it was nerd money, and something you know that just people in their basements uh, use, and um, Actually, the when I the moment I started taking it seriously when I was uh, traveling in Bali, and I saw that people were using it, you know, um, locals were using it, kind of as a savings vehicle, and um, and yeah, so it, it was not just like a fringe nerd thing, um, and that really caught my attention. I like, okay, this is really interesting. Why are these people using Bitcoin? Um, and yeah, so I, I really dug deeper down the rabbit hole. There was a weekly Bitcoin meetup in, in Ubud in Bali at the time where I just went uh, and, and uh, tried to learn as much as I could. And once I, I understood the, the basics and once I like, you can't like, either you, you're like disregarded, that's the one thing, or you just, you can't stop talking about it. So I'm that guy that like, I can't shut up about it. I, I have um, probably since at least i don't know five years i i'm just learning about it constantly trying to dig deeper and um i i then decided to i want to work on it full-time so i i started at lightning labs um is is it's a company in san francisco who built um a, one implementation of the lightning network which is like this open uh, decentralized payment technology built on top of the bitcoin blockchain and uh, was was there when they launched it on, on Bitcoin mainnet. So that was just a very exciting time because the first time we were able to really use it as a payments technology. And after that, um, got a developer grant from Square Crypto. Um, Square uh, hands out these open source developer grants for uh, people that work on Bitcoin in order to kind of give back to the community because they um, use Bitcoin in their in their fintech app, the Cash app, which is the biggest like in the U.S. the biggest app. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of my background. Um, recently, I've been kind of 
experimenting with coaching just out of curiosity for for personal development um but yeah my, my main focus is is still like bitcoin and and um uh, you're testing yeah. your coaching with us here today especially with an audience so that's fantastic we're happy to be your guinea pigs um and yeah. you covered a lot of different pieces in that intro i mean you're already talking about payment systems and decentralization and we're going to cover some of that in this uh session but i wanted to say that i introduced tank to speak because he believes that it's important to not start with the investing but really first and foremost the understanding of the fundamentals of Bitcoin and why it exists is really important to that. So he, he convinced me that Bitcoin can't be ignored and the story of Bitcoin and why it came to be includes so many factors and components. Uh, Tank, why don't you run us through a few highlights of why Bitcoin has come into being? Well, um, so Bitcoin really started um, as a reaction to the financial um, the great financial crisis in 2008 um, when Lehman Brothers went bankrupt um, there was there was a lot of attention on the financial system back then and this this person we don't know if it's a he she or they um, released this white paper in this uh, mailing list um, and said you know here's this solution potentially uh, which does not, you know, re revolve around a, a bank or a trusted entity that we need to trust because 2008 taught us that you know, a lot of that trust was abused. And um, so he basically said, let's, let's create this decentralized alternative where, you know, everybody has a copy of that bank record. So we no longer need to trust that um, entity. And then we'll just all be like, egalitarian participants in this new system. Um, yeah, and the idea there is it's it's not, um, the, the monetary policy is not controlled by a central bank, which, uh, you know, has been creating these boom and bust cycles that then kind of, um, where we saw the effects 2008, a lot of people lost their homes uh, because of the mortgage crisis. And it's basically just a programmatic algorithm. So it's, um, it's just, um, yeah, uh, predefined uh, kind of how, how the money is created. Um, and the, the, big, the, the big advantage here is it's, you know, it's accessible and open to everyone. You know, you don't, you don't need to have access to a bank account. For instance, in El Salvador, a lot of these developing nations, um, El Salvador, 70% of the citizens actually don't have access to a bank account. Um, and in these, in these areas, it's really hard for the citizens to actually protect themselves against a monetary debasement because like we, you know, we can buy stocks, we can buy real estate um, because we have access to banking, but um, these people don't. And so the easiest thing they can just do, they can just buy some Bitcoin mm -hmm. as a savings vehicle and just kind of just save for the long term. Uh, so it really gives them a way to kind of uh, be included in, in the financial system. Yeah, coming from banking career, that seems so unreal to me that people can't have access to bank accounts, but can actually get access to cryptocurrency accounts. And I was working in real estate secured lending in Canada when the Lehman Brothers crisis happened and everybody in the bank, no matter where they worked, friends and family were calling them like, what the hell's going on within the first day because nobody had any idea what was going to happen to the financial market. 
And, you know, so I'm very close to that subject and I've worked in banking. So it seems so crazy to me that they have Bitcoin wallets. Um, but, you know, what does this do for them? What, do, what kind of, a, um, I guess, what, what, how does this help them? Because the white paper, I mean, I was, when you said the white paper had been introduced in 2008, here I was sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? There's a financial crisis. And people were already coming up with solutions, but you didn't hear about them in the mainstream, right? So, you know, people like in El Salvador, what does that do for them? What, what kind of freedom does it give them? Um, does it supersede the need for bank accounts, I guess? Um, well, I think if, if you look at, for instance, what's happened, especially now with, with uh, mm -hmm. since the pandemic started, in, since March of 2020, um, the government in order to kind of um, help stimulate the economy, because a lot of people had to stay at home or had to, you know, the economic uh, activity went down. So in order to not end up in a huge recession, the government stimulated the economy with um, essentially 25% of the US dollar money supply was created in the last 24 months, right? So a lot of, a lot of um, dollars were flushed into the system in order to, with the intention of helping uh, people. And this is obviously, if you're a citizen in the US, you're going to, um, in some way, shape or form, um, profit from that, right? Because, uh, you know, be it that your company is safe or your job is, or, um, or you're getting a stimulus check in order to kind of bridge the gap where you can't work. Um, so you, like you're taken care of, right? But a lot of these dollarized nations in Latin America, for instance, El Salvador uses the US dollar. Mm -hmm. they, don't, they don't get any advantage from that, right? So their buying power is decreased because the US dollar amount is increased. And, and the only thing, because they don't have access to banking, they can't, you know, go into real estate or gold or stocks or these things. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, but they can just, you know, buy some Bitcoin. They can like just trade, go to a friend or like peer to peer, um, you know, just pour cash by Bitcoin and, and kind of use, use that as their savings vehicle. Yeah, I think that was a, a really interesting part of one of the documentaries that you sent me where Raul Powell says, um, you know, that central banks are omnipotent and they can really, they can expand the balance sheets forever. And what they can do is manipulate what's happening within the economy that they want to happen. So it's a, they can penalize with a negative interest rate, the baby boomer saver, because they want them to spend their money and they can yes. give students positive interest so that they'll save their money. And so that I think people really, I mean, that's a really simplified way to explain the economics of it. Yeah. But I think that's what you're talking about is maybe that's happening in the US, but El Salvador being based on the US dollar is getting a different effect, a kick on from it. So that's very interesting. Um, let's get into the Bitcoin. So let's talk about the fundamentals. I mean, really, what is Bitcoin? Just a basic sentence about what is Bitcoin? Sure. I think I, the way that I like to explain it it's basically just money for the digital age right mm -hmm. um money has always been um a construct of technology like in ancient mesopotamia we had these um stone tablets you know mm -hmm. where we kind of recorded who owes what to whom um in in in, in the romans used coinage so they used um metal coins uh with with silver or gold um and Obviously, now in the digital age, we've been using more and more digital payment systems and banks, which are basically just, they just have a database, right? It's like a tablet, yeah. but it's digital, right? And what Bitcoin does, instead of us having to trust this uh, bank, 
we can have our own little tablet on our computer, right? We we uh, we have a ledger where it's just recorded who who has which coins basically, and we all have a copy of that. And so it it'll, it's kind of just a decentralized digital uh, money system. Now you told me, and this totally threw me about keeping it in a physical way because when I think digital, I think it's all in the cloud and I don't need to worry about it. Of course, even cloud is based out of data centers, but we don't think about that. So um, Bitcoin is coin in essence. You can have a physical wallet as well. Is that right? I'm yeah, going to so, it, by the way, because I want you to explain everything like I am. Go on. <laughs> yeah, 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 no worries. Um, so you can, you know, like how you can hold cash physically, you know, under your mattress or like a lot of people, especially um, in developing nations, love gold, right? Mm -hmm. Because there, there's, there's a, a history of currency debasement. Uh, there's a history of, of confiscation. In Lebanon, this just happened. In Turkey, they have, I think, inflation rates of like 40% this year. Um, a lot of people in Turkey, traditionally the older generations, uh, you know, they, they, they don't know this uh, type of digital technology, but the young ones, they're, they're actually using Bitcoin and digital currencies. So, um, yeah, so, and the cool thing is you can take custody of, of this. Uh, so you, you can have a wallet, it can either be on your phone or you can buy a little USB stick, it's called a hardware wallet. We can just, you know, store your, your Bitcoin in a, in a safe way. Mm -hmm. And then that way it can't be taken from you, seized or debased in any way. Um, and that kind of makes it like a cash-like instrument or similar to gold in terms of the, the security model. I mean, you always hear these uh, stories about how the poor would literally just sew their gold into their clothes, right? So they, they could keep it safe and close to their body. I guess the USB stick is going to become somewhat the same. But what was <laughs> interesting about what you said was decentralization, where no entity controls the network or the coin. And we'll come to that topic, I know, a bit deeper in our third session of this series. But Regarding the wallet of digital coins, so I read recently a basic explanation. Bitcoin is essentially a payment network. It logs transactions, sends money between people, and that's made into a hash, right? And a code is created out of this information, and this is a block of code. And I think you know where I'm going with this. This leads us to blockchain. And I love that you always challenge me with blockchain is not Bitcoin and Bitcoin is not blockchain. So please explain blockchain. <laughs> what does it have to do with Bitcoin? Yeah, the whole the whole blockchain hype is basically. Um, I think the easiest way to think of it is kind of a reaction from traditional financial institutions, which felt challenged by Bitcoin. They said, "Oh no, no, like Bitcoin, that's not. Don't worry about that. That you know, that's not. Uh, don't don't pay attention. You know, what's really important here is the blockchain, right? And we can use the blockchain and and kind of like leverage that technology to entrench our, our own position, right?" Blockchain is basically it's 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 just a part of the technology that makes Bitcoin work. Um, the blockchain is nothing. It's just, it's just a different word for a decentralized database, a decentralized ledger where we all have you know a copy of that tablet on our on our um, computer at home, and and that's all it is. And it's 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 just one part of the technology stack that kind of makes this um, possible. Great. Now, the other thing I'm going to challenge you with, because it is about then the miners who are um, designing the code, right? So let's dig a little bit more into this mining concept. Lots of individuals know that term. Very few know exactly what that means or what they're doing in relation to Bitcoin. So break it down for us. 
Sure. So mining is a way to secure the network. Um, and we need this because we need to, the easiest way to explain is, you know, when you, when you log into a website and they show you like a little, you know, click on the three uh, pictures that, you know, uh, to, to prove that you're not, you're not a robot yet. It's, it's, you're doing a proof of work, right? Yeah. So you're, you're kind of validating that there's a, a human. Oh, the captive. And you mean the captive where it says, the, the, yeah, the exactly. Like, look at on the traffic slide and everybody's like, what, what the hell? Like, like a computer <laughs> can't figure that out. Anyway, um, <laughs> it's this, like the idea is the idea is the same with proof of work mining, right? Yeah. So there's these computers solving these math problems in order to prove that there's work behind it. So that in order to kind of, what they do is they secure the network. Okay. And they do this by, expending uh, you know electricity and there's there's also capital investment required with regards to the hardware and um so yeah this allows the the system to be decentralized right because any it's completely permissionless if if you are sitting i don't know in, in, in some part of the world and you have cheap electricity um and and the cool thing now is that the cheapest uh, sources of electricity are actually now renewables okay so solar and wind are um a lot more um, cheaper uh, due to the economies of scale and, and the technology than uh, coal or, or other forms. Um, and so let's say you have an abundance of, of solar energy or wind energy and you you want to kind of um, in the time where we're all sleeping and the wind is blowing, you want to still uh, create you know some type of profit when we don't need that uh, electricity, you can connect Bitcoin miners to that. Mm -hmm. um, and Unfortunately, in the media, there's a lot of disinformation around this um, because there's a fear that this will be bad for the environment. I um, I think if you look at the actually the data behind it, Bitcoin mining is um, a large part over 50% is already renewable. If you compare that to other industries, it's actually leading in terms of renewable usage. Okay, and uh, and um, because it, it uses curtailed energy, like if you build these renewable energy grids, a lot of energy gets it's wasted, right? Because our, our challenge is storing that energy and when we don't need it, and because we don't have a, the battery technology. And Bitcoin lets actually these renewable energy providers uh, store that in like an economic form where they can you know, store that as, as a digital money and then basically offset the cost for those renewable um, energy sources which which in essence can incentivize a faster transition to renewable energy and i think i mean we could nerd out about that for a whole other session but I, I i personally think it's it's uh there's a lot of potential there if if the progressive and, and like issue movement kind of looks into it closer i think they haven't done that yet okay Interesting. And so um, just based on that, I would say, so is there a number of miners that are out there or do you find that this is expanding exponentially? Because there is also this, uh, I, so I read recently that there's actually a plan till 2140 for Bitcoin and that it is expanding in terms of numbers of miners and that it's uh, usually splits every four years, lots of other stats that we're going to come to in the third session. But what does that mean to the number of miners that are out there? Is that a problem or is it better to have more because it creates even more decentralization? Just a little bit more around that. So the, the number that you mentioned is uh, to the year 2140. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of like, until that point, all of 21 million Bitcoin will have been mined, right? So there will only ever be 21 million Bitcoins which makes yeah. it a scarce asset. 
mm -hmm. which makes a great savings vehicle. Mm -hmm. I like real estate or gold. And the way that those Bitcoin are created is through mining and the amount of Bitcoin that get minted through these mining operations is mm -hmm. halved every four years. So it's kind of like this asymptotic move of the, of the monetary policy, right? Over time, it gets scarcer and scarcer. Mm -hmm. And that's what you were referring to with the four-year cycles, right? There's a having every four years where the amount of Bitcoin gets reduced. Um, the, 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 the mining hash rate, the amount of miners that join the network is completely independent of that. Um, so what we, we see actually when the price goes up, it becomes more profitable to mine. So usually that's when miners join the network. But yeah. When there's a correction, correction in the market, right? When there's a lot of fear, um, you have these hype cycles with fear and greed. But when the, when the price goes down, a lot of miners become unprofitable, especially ones that pay a lot of high energy costs. Uh, they have to turn off their miners and then they have to look for cheaper electricity, which is you know, actually gonna be renewable sources. So yeah, there's this dynamic in the network where you know, depending on how profitable it is to mine, um, they will you know, join or, or turn their machines off. Okay, interesting. Um... I did talk about recently, but maybe we can just jump a little bit into it about um, the elements of the traditional gold standard fiat and how does that get mirrored in Bitcoin? Maybe we can expand a little bit on that. Um, and also, you know, you said that this makes Bitcoin very trustworthy as a way to store value across time and space, which sounds really out of this world. So if you can expand a bit on that, that would be great. Sure. Um, so the, the thing is, you don't want to save in dollars, right? Uh -huh. uh, Ray Dalio is, is known for saying cash is trash, you know, so he's, he's one of the, he's the, <laughs> founder the of Bridgewater. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the biggest hedge fund in the world. So he basically says cash is trash. Don't, don't save in dollars or euros. Um, Can I just say save... that in the NBA, cash is king comes up all the time. So I love that this is in a recession. Yes. In a, <laughs> when, when there's fear and panic in the market, cash is king, of course, like, yeah. you know, um, and, and in that regard, like, it, when the market crashes, Bitcoin has uh, been also very, very correlated. So, of course, um, not saying that, but in the long term, uh, you don't you don't want to like use cash as a savings vehicle, right? A lot of people know that you know they either buy real estate or gold or some sort of like scarce hard asset. Yeah, tangible. And tangible, yeah. Um, I think what's challenging there, I think from a mental perspective, we have to make a shift. To like, okay, Bitcoin isn't tangible. It's not. It's not. A thing that I can touch. It's it's a it's a it's a digital thing, but it's still scarce, right? And because it's scarce, because there will only ever be twenty one million, it's a great way to store your value over time and space. And you know, gold's a great way to store your value over time, but it's not a great way to wait to store your value over space because it's really expensive to send that gold bar across the globe, right? Whereas, like with Bitcoin, you can send like an email. It's it's very cheap. So it, in terms of like the, the moneyness aspects yeah. Of, yeah. of Bitcoin, it actually is a lot more convenient, a lot cheaper to store and send than a bar of gold, which yeah. why a lot of people in the space, you know, yeah. believe it's going to replace it. So do you think that this is actually a component of the fact that we are moving to gig economies and so many people are global citizens these days? I mean, myself alone, and you, you know this story, you know, I was born in England, I moved to Canada, bought property there, moved to Germany, working here, but now I've got to sell that and move money from one country to another. And of course, yes. you know, you're paying through the nose to do any of those transactions, but Bitcoin kind of supersedes that a little bit, right? 
a lot actually <laughs> you tell me <laughs> do you think that's a natural um yeah. component and evolution of the fact that our workspaces are changing our globalization is changing our gig economy that's coming into play you tell me and the purpose everything's yeah. aligned to purpose these days right definitely i mean you touched on a lot of things there i i, I agree <laughs> like I've, I've been living as a digital nomad myself you know traveling yeah. being quite um, location dependent like covid accelerated that for a lot of people working remotely so the fact that we have been using real estate kind of as our piggy, piggy bank right yeah um is not meeting our needs in this new uh, world where we're mobile where we're digital and and you touched on the high transaction costs right you you, you buy and sell a house that's a lot of work right mm -hmm. um and you can't take it with you it's not divisible it's not liquid and there's all these aspects which make real estate really challenging mm -hmm. uh, for the fact that like the real estate market's really high. So you need to get a, a loan and then you need to go into debt for 30 years. There's there's a lot of things which makes it really unattractive. Mm -hmm. But if you look at Bitcoin as an alternative, you can say, okay, I can use, I can store my value in this hard asset, kind of like real estate, kind of like, you know, uh, like that, but I can, I can take it with me. When I move to a new country, I yeah. can just take everything with me, you know, and if I need a little bit of liquidity, you know, I'm, I'm, I need to buy a car or need to fix uh, the dryer or whatever. I can just sell some Bitcoin and, mm -hmm. and just, yeah, take my value. Take cash me. instead. So I think that yeah. that's going to be an interesting component of what we discuss in the third session regarding Bitcoin and this, this um, ease of use and the fact that you can take your wealth with you because that's going to be important to a lot of people we are so much told that the traditional methods are the right methods buy a property buy a second property rent it out you know these kind of yeah. concepts that we have we did get a question from the audience but it's something we're covering next week but maybe you want to have a quick answer we've got a couple of minutes uh what makes bitcoin more desirable than ethereum and monero and i think you've kind of touched on that in terms of the scarcity but if you just want to give a one sentence answer until we dig deeper next week that'd be Great. Thank you, sir. Yeah, totally. Uh, so we're going to do, uh, we're going to cover all those uh, topics next week with altcoins and, and Ethereum and Web3 and all that. Too um, big a topic for one half hour session. It's, it's a big topic. <laughs> and the short answer is digital scarcity only exists once, right? Mm -hmm. um, and the, the network with the biggest network effect usually wins. We see this with the internet, with TCP IT, IP with SMTP and email, it's it's just an archaic old protocol, but we're all still using email because it just has the biggest network effect, right? If you're, yeah. if you're communicating between boundaries, between companies, you're not gonna use Slack. You're, you're generally gonna use the open protocol with the biggest network effect. And also like, like English language is another uh, good example, right? The English language has the biggest network effect. Sure, you could learn, I don't know, some really fringe uh, language, which is spoken in a small island and yeah. then kind of <laughs> like German, yeah, and try to convince the rest of the world, hey, you need to speak German. But I live the rest in Germany, of the world, for those who don't know, yeah, I'm from Germany, but yeah, so not hating on my country, but like, like most of the world is going to be like, yeah, cool, I'm just going to be over here and speak English, right? Um, because that's just most people speak it, right? Internationally, that's kind of the de facto standard. And I, I think if you look at money or Bitcoin, that's the way you would look at it as, as well, right? You you generally want to participate in the biggest network and the big oh, so that's that's the answer is short answer is it's the biggest network and it's also the yeah. foundational network i think that's going to be something we talk about next week as well is that all the others kind of came after 
and why that yeah. is part of the decision-making route, right? We only have a minute left, so I'm gonna wrap up there. Thanks so much. I know this was really the fundamentals and basics, but we, we did that on purpose because I think there's a lot of misinformation out there about Bitcoin. So I wanted to start from the why, where it started and the fundamentals. So thank you very much for that. Um, so there you have it. No single party is in charge. There's no chance of Lehman Brothers in Bitcoin. Um, and Tanky barely scratched the surface. So I really look forward to our next session next week as we dive into other cryptocurrencies. So back to the question we had earlier and why Bitcoin is different to blockchain, Web3, Ethereum, etc. We're going to dig deeper into that for the person who asked the question. And finally, in part three on February 18th, Tank will share the fundamentals of how we to make informed decisions if you want to maximize your investing in Bitcoin, which of course will be probably the most popular of the series. Thanks for joining. And this video will be shared on YouTube and the audio on Spotify tomorrow. And hopefully we'll see you next week. And Tank, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Excellent yeah, work. this was fun. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. Take care. Tiny Box Academy. For more information, visit us at tinybox.academy.